Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. Five-five rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host. Darren Pritchett. Sportspeak continues on 960 AM WSBT. I'm joined by Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He was in Baltimore covering Saturday's Notre Dame win over Navy, 35-32. You can check out his work as well as all of the colleagues he has at Blue and Gold Illustrated on the website, blueandgold.com. Of course, Tyler also is my co-host on Game Day Speed, powered by Michelob Ultra. We're on the air at 11 a.m. for the Boston College game on Saturday. Well, there is a great benefit, Tyler, of being at the game when the Irish are on the road. You had the opportunity to watch that game from the press box. You had a great vantage point in the press box at the home of the Baltimore Ravens. And you can see things that we necessarily always can't see on television. And what I'm pointing to is some of the routes run by the offenses. Once they leave the screen, we are kind of at the mercy of getting replays, and you don't always get that. Now, ABC gave us some good replays from behind the quarterback, so you could see a couple of times there were a lot of routes going deep down the field in the second half with pressure coming to Drew Pine, and I thought Drew didn't have an outlet to throw the ball a couple of times in those situations. That's just me watching the replays on ABC. You were at the game. I would just like to get your perspective on the way Notre Dame tried to attack that zero pressure, which leads to a lot of man-on-man coverage all over the field. Well, here's the issue. We're talking about zero pressure, and you're talking about wide receivers leaving the frame of the television screen. If that's the case, that doesn't really – those two things don't go hand-in-hand hand from an offensive perspective because at that point you've got nobody to throw the ball to in the flats, short routes, all of those things, and that's what you need to do to beat cover zero <clears throat> blitzes because, I, I mean, the, the easiest thing a quarterback can do right, is throw the ball to the blitzing side. Right? You, you learn that yes. in peewee football. If a guy is coming right at you from your right and he's leaving whoever, whether it be a tight end, maybe a running back leaks out there, even a wide receiver, you throw it to that side because all of a sudden, yeah, you've got more guys than you can block coming at you, but you're going to have an advantage somewhere else. I mean, that's math. There's 11 guys on the field for each side, and there just wasn't any of that for Notre Dame. A lot of routes being run deep. I've seen it over and over again, and this has been an issue even when Notre Dame isn't facing a cover zero blitz because let's go back to a couple weeks ago versus Syracuse. What was the bugaboo then? It was rush three, drop eight, and Notre Dame is still running these deep routes. Well, you got a lot of defensive backs and linebackers back there when you're rushing three and dropping eight, and Drew Pine had nobody to throw to then, and you saw it wasn't necessarily the sacks versus Syracuse, but he had to get out on the edge. He he did get sacked one time against Syracuse when he was flush to his left. He's not been very good when he's running to his left this year. That was an instance of that. So this was kind of the 180 of the Syracuse game where Navy said, we're just going to send everybody at him. We'll see if they could block him. We'll see if he could hit somebody downfield. And that was the issue. Notre Dame was running all these routes long. Drew Pine had nobody to throw to. 
He needs outlets. And, and this is the thing that Marcus Freeman said after the game. He said it today. And I actually agree with him that it wasn't all on the quarterback. There was a lot of issues with, with these sacks. The five sacks that we saw from Navy in the second half, it was, okay, yes, Drew Pine did have a couple of places to throw it a few times, and he didn't do it. Okay, Logan's digs flat out missed a guy. I think Michael Mayer missed a block. I yes. mean, these are things that you have to you have to to be doing in the in the tenth game of the season, and these guys were just missing assignments. And then the last part of that is, yeah, Tommy Reese needs to dial up some different route concepts because, like I said, over and over again throughout the year, Notre Dame they're running these routes that are should theoretically be open when you have solid protection and you have three to four seconds to pass the ball. Well, Drew Pine didn't have three or four seconds against Navy because he had six or seven, maybe even eight guys in his face at times. And it was a very ugly second half for the Notre Dame offense. Now, I know Coach Freeman says it's not on Pine all, you know, for everything. And he didn't have a problem with play calling. So we're kind of looking for answers because there doesn't seem to be a way to point a finger at anyone, by the way, the head coach is talking about the second half. But I'll just say this. It was a full effort on offense to have 20 plays for 12 yards. And I just talked about this a couple of moments ago, and I'm glad you pointed out some things in your opening statement there because I was very critical of Dan Orlovsky on the program a moment ago. I don't like him saying, quote, Drew Pine doesn't know what he's doing, end quote, when it's not all on Drew Pine. For a guy who played the position at a high level, who I think is a great analyst, I know he's a big fan of Tommy Reese, and maybe that blinded him a little bit, but people listen to him, and people walk away from that game. The expert on the broadcast saying Drew Pine doesn't know what he's doing, I just thought that was very unfair to Drew. Hey, he has his deficiencies. He missed a touchdown to Mayer. Could he have thrown the ball quicker a couple of times? You better believe it. He was not perfect, but I thought Orlovsky put it all on Pine, which was unfair. Hey, let's not forget that we're also talking about a guy who threw four touchdown passes and ran for another, and Notre Dame doesn't win that football game without all five of those scores. And I know you can look at the first half and second half as different entities, and you should, because one was great, the other was flat-out awful, and Drew Pine had a hand in it being awful, but there's no way all of the blame should have been pinned on him to say that he did not know what he was doing. That just doesn't... You don't go from one quarter looking like a guy who should be your starting quarterback in 2023 to the the next half where it looks like you shouldn't be playing on a college football field. There are a lot of moving parts that go into that. It's not like Drew Pine went into the locker room and chugged a fifth of vodka or something and came out a totally different guy. I can, I can assure you that did not happen. So, yes, the, the blame should not be all pinned on him. And anybody who is – Still on Monday, 48 hours removed from this thing, pinning it all on Drew Pine. And there are people on Twitter. There are people on the blueandgold.com message board who are certainly doing that. I advise you to go rewatch the game. My my colleague Patrick Engel did. Go look at his article at blueandgold.com from this morning. He pointed out the plethora of issues that plagued the Notre Dame offense in that second half. And I guarantee you not every single one of those paragraphs and sentences said Drew Pine is at fault here. There were a lot of things that went into it, and it wasn't all his fault. 
And that's why I brought up people hear that comment on TV. It's on national TV. It must be true. And they base their opinions Mm -hmm. on that, which I thought was unfair. Let's move on. Are you concerned there's a carryover over the next two games? Is a blueprint now out there to slow down this fighting Irish offense? I don't think so. And I think that's a narrative that people have kind of taken to run with because I said it a little bit earlier, what was the blueprint after the Syracuse game? Rush three, drop eight. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, these are just things that work for different teams throughout football games. That happens. There's going to be a something in a game that, that works, and a team sticks with that. For Navy, and that's kind of their MO all the time, it was bring pressure at the quarterback. We don't have the athletes to stay with some of these receivers. You saw Jaden Thomas make a play. You saw Braden Lindsey make a spectacular catch. Navy was totally outmanned, outmuscled in the secondary. So they said, hey, we're going to try to not necessarily beat Notre Dame at its own game, but we're, we're going to try to you know, make their game murky and go at them at the point of attack, and that's what they did. I, I'm not sure other teams want to get into that kind of battle, especially now that it's kind of out there. I mean, Tommy Reese, 48 hours later, I guarantee you he spent every waking one thinking about how to beat blitzes like this. And it's one thing to do it. You wish you would have saw it for Tommy Reese throughout the course of the game and him adjusting a little bit and not just sticking with the vanilla blueprint of an offense that he has and say, okay, we need to do some things differently. Let's, let's put a guy here. Let's put a guy there. Make sure Drew has somebody to throw to. You didn't really see that throughout the game, but I guarantee you going into Boston College, if Boston College wants to rush six or seven, there's going to be somebody leaking out there and Drew Pine's going to get the ball out there. So I don't think this was something that teams are just going to, and look, we only have three games left anyway. So if it took this long to, to figure it out, then I'm really perplexed as to why it wasn't happening all season. So I don't think it's going to be something that Notre Dame necessarily has to worry about throughout the entire course of games, but they're going to see it a little bit. But I just think Tommy Reese is going to be more prepared for it. Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. My guest here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. The Navy game is always tricky, at least in my opinion, Tyler, because this is the one time the defense faces something that's just totally different than the other opponents. Now, they face Navy every year, but the triple option attack is its own special way of, of moving the football. And Notre Dame has had issues through the year, even though they play Navy each and every year. You take a look at the final numbers. They ran for 255 yards, which is about 20 yards over what they averaged going into the ball game, 5.5 yards per carry. They threw it 13 times, completed six, which is good for them. I mean, that's 106 yards and two touchdowns, so they threw it pretty well. Is this a failure by the Notre Dame defense? Is this just one of those situations that the chess match that Navy won them in the second half when Notre Dame put out the prevent defense, they ran the ball when they put their triple option defense out there, Navy threw the ball? Did they just win the X's and O's, or should we ultimately be disappointed in what we saw on Saturday? I think you've got to be a little bit disappointed just because I don't know if I would say the whole thing was a failure defensively, but there were some failed plays. I mean, those fullback dives that went for 50 yards and maybe another one went for 39 yards or something like that, those are failures on those specific plays because (laughs) there's no reason a fullback should be going straight through the line of scrimmage through an A-gap and taking it 50 yards down the field, and that happened a couple times. 
And then I, I just think in the second half, it's another one of those things where your offense literally cannot stay on the field. It was three and out after three and out. And then the defense comes back on the field to face an offense that is designed to stay on the field and sustain these long drives. And that'll wear on you. I don't care how many Matt Bayless workouts you go through. <laughs> that's going to be pretty That's going to be pretty tough in the third and fourth quarter of a football game to, to play that many snaps. And this was another, another game where Notre Dame – Lost the time of possession. We haven't seen it a whole lot this year, but when that does happen, the defense tends to have some lapses in the second half, and, and obviously we saw that. So it, it, you kind of prefaced it perfectly with just saying that this is it's a tough assignment. Uh, it, they threw it a little bit more than some people maybe would have thought. Now, of course, they're losing in the second half, and they have to throw it, and that quarterback that comes in, technically their third-string quarterback, he's got a better arm than yeah. the, the first two guys on the depth chart. So... We weren't surprised to see them pass it a little bit when he came in. And Notre Dame's in a prevent defense, like you said. So at that point, you're going to complete some short stuff and be able to, to move the chains a little bit. So the, the game just kind of got funky. I don't know if I would say the defense totally failed, but they had some lapses. And if they don't have those lapses, maybe they're able to shut it down a little bit better in the second half. But it is just kind of one of those, it is what it is, uh, games and i will say if the, if the offense was able to muster anything in the second yes. half uh, a score three points ten points the game looks totally different i don't think navy's in a position to where it goes for two on two different touchdown drives and does all these other things to try to get the ball back and, and keep scoring if notre dame puts an end to that early and gets up 40 to 13 or whatever it was mm-hmm. At that at that point, Navy's like, well, th- let's just get this thing in the locker room, and they let them hang around, and, and that's what happens in games like that. Tyler, I guess the position switch for Xavier Watts is working out pretty well. Seven solo tackles tied for the team lead with eight tackles in that ball game against Navy, including a tackle for loss. Yeah, he was seeing things really well. That was another one of those examples where it, it pays off to be able to watch this from – the press box, because you can key in on guys like that who may be out of the screen. He's a safety, obviously, so he, he's pretty far back there in the defensive backfield. And just the way he's able to move up on guys who have the football, he, his vision is really good, I think. And maybe that helps, he, given that he's a little bit of a two-way player and can play some wide receiver. He knows what he's looking for from these offensive skill players. He just closes gaps really well, fills gaps, gets to rushing lanes, uh, gets to the edge very well. If there's a guy coming around that corner, you bet Xavier Watts is there and he's ready to lay a hit on him. So I think this is a testament to really both coaching staffs in 2021 and 2022 because early in the year last year, Xavier Watts, everybody still thought he was going to be a wide receiver. And and it was Brian Brian Kelly and that staff who said, no, we've moved him over there and we think we're going to keep him over there. And then this year, obviously they had a little bit of the same thing when wide receiver numbers got low. It turned out he only – spent maybe two or three practices one week at the most at wide receiver in camp after the Avery Davis injury. And Marcus Freeman, Al Golden said, now we like what he's doing at safety. Xavier Watts told us himself that he sees himself as a defensive football player because he likes to hit people. And he's pretty dang good at it, as you mentioned. Hmm. 
How about just a quick thought as we turn the page now to Boston College? Believe it or not, the final home game of 2022 for the Fighting Irish. An auspicious start to the home schedule, losing to Marshall, ultimately losing to Stanford. But now, once again, Notre Dame a huge favorite at home, and that hasn't always turned out well this year. They're 0-5 against the number when they are a double-digit favorite this year and 3-2 and two overall. So I guess anything's possible, and BC's got to have a little confidence coming into this game. They do. Just knocked off NC State 21-20, to and sometimes that's what happens when you go to a backup quarterback, and I think that's going to be the case this week. I'm not sure I wasn't keyed in on Jeff Halfley. He might even be speaking tomorrow, but Phil Dracovic, obviously, the, the former Notre Dame signee, started the first – what seven eight games for them this season got injured they've turned to a redshirt freshman and Emmett Moorhead who Marcus Freeman talked about today and said man that that kid's got something he's a bit of a gamer played really well against Duke in his first start a couple weeks ago lost by a touchdown because Boston College's defense didn't play a whole lot of it that day but he was good again against NC State so they got a little bit of momentum going this is one of those teams that's yeah it's a losing team with the three and seven record but at some point, when you start the season with so many losses, you say, well, I'm either going to choose to finish this thing out and keep playing as hard as I can, or I'm going to give up. It goes either way sometimes. It's, it feels like this Boston College team is still kind of kept it together and is playing hard, and they would like nothing more than to beat Notre Dame in, in the regular season home finale for Notre Dame. So it's an interesting game, especially if they catch Notre Dame looking ahead to that team that plays in Los Angeles. So tricky spot on the schedule. <laughs> Losing team that has some momentum, and like you said, Darren, you you cannot let your guard down if you're Notre Dame because you've done that a couple times this season, and it hasn't ended too well. Interesting week at blueandgold.com. Still recapping the Navy game, looking ahead to BC. Speculation the Irish might have the chance to add a 2023 four-star quarterback. All the details right now one spot at blueandgold.com. Yeah, speculation sells, and <laughs> there's, some, there, there's some stuff going on with that. Mike Singer has it all covered for you guys if you go to blueandgold.com. Notre Dame women's basketball recruiting is also very hot right now. Cassandra Prosper, a five-star out of Canada, committed on Saturday. If you missed that, after Notre Dame beat Navy, Notre Dame is in the running to get another five-star. Tomorrow, Hannah Hidalgo, the number five player in the class of 2023, so I'll have that covered one way or the other, whether the Irish get it or not. And then, like you said, football, we got two games left in the regular season. So there's just so much going on at blueandgold.com. We cover Notre Dame athletics like nobody else, and it's only $10 from now through the beginning of the 2023 football season. So great deal, great coverage. It's the place to be. Very good. He is Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He'll join me for game day Saturday morning at 11 a.m. live from Notre Dame Stadium. Hopefully the snow will be gone by then. Tyler, thanks for the visit. Greatly appreciate it. We'll talk to you Saturday. Yeah, I'm going to bring a jacket or two for that game for sure. (laughs) We'll turn the heat up extra in our booth. How about that? Good. All right. We'll talk to you then. All right. See you, Darren. That's Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. 
It is seven minutes in front of six o'clock. Great to have you on board. Budweiser's weekday sports beat here on WSBT Radio, brought to you in part by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Their newest location on Lincoln Way in the Twin Branch area is now open for carryouts. Barnaby's, the family inn. By South Bend Orthopedics, team physician for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance, for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. And by Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. We will hand out some game balls in just a little bit. We've got a sports update on the way. And also we'll talk a little Irish defense, sports wagering at the end of the program, all coming up on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT.